0: that you give us strength to rise from our beds of slumber and sleep and thank you that we have now moved into spring and your faithfulness to carry us to another season and we thank you for it so much we we are yours you made us and so many of us it's our testimony you've saved us you apprehended us lord we were running far and fast the wrong way and so lord you brought the gospel near And we're so thankful for it, Lord. And you're making us and preparing us for heaven, that lifelong process where we agonize over that. We are sin, and we're sinners, and we sin. And daily, we shouldn't. And I pray, Lord, that you would make this pastor and people more like Jesus every day, holiness unto the Lord. I pray for that, Lord. And someday, when we're in glory, we'll no longer have that sin bent, Good riddance, goodbye. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you for the cross, this holy day, as we think of Palm Sunday and our Savior and moving towards the cross toward the end of the week to uh, transact the greatest work that was ever done. It's the greatest event in human history, forward and backwards. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It is the message of all message. And Lord, may it be often on our hearts and lips as we move among a people that know nothing of the Bible. So many of them know nothing of Jesus, know nothing of the hope of Easter and the resurrection. And I pray this treasure of the gospel that we bear would often be on our lips and on our hearts. Give us increased burden for lost people people near that we work with, Lord, and may we often think, how can I reach others with the gospel of Jesus? Just befriending people and loving them and caring them, talking to them about small things. If we don't, Lord, we'll never get to the big things in life. Give us that mindset, Lord. Oh, use us as the days are quickly passing in our life, Lord, and the uncertainty of life, the uncertainty of riches. Continue to lead us and guide us as a church. We exist for the gospel's sake only, and you have raised us up, and you've allowed us to continue to this very day. Thank you for each precious soul here that you have brought to grace, and we're thankful for them. And we think of how many other folks need the Savior and that we don't even know yet, and what a contribution they'll make to the body and to the work, and so we pray for that. May each of us be being filled with spirit. May we put away sin. May we hear Joshua's, the Lord's word to Joshua. Don't turn to the right or to the left, but may we be steadfast to observe all the things that are written in your word. Help us in that, Lord. We're weak, we're puny, we're frail. Lead us not into temptation. Why? We're so prone to sin, Lord. Deliver us, and may the fruit of the Spirit be all over us, Lord. Make us a blessing. Open the word now and teach us, speak uh, breathe life into my dead words if any here know not christ save their soul and draw them to yourself for the rest of us sharpen us lord may in our heart our heart we bless you and praise you and stand amazed that we should be numbered with the people of god in christ's name amen i'm gonna take your bible and turn to matthew 27 appreciate uh, joey reading our text today I've entitled the message, uh, Calvary's Miracles. We, um, we have been mentioned uh, uh, quite a bit about Palm Sunday and all that took place. We're going to come back and actually, uh, uh, it's like a movie. You like the movies that, uh, you know, they give you some progress and then they do a flashback on it and you're like, how did that happen? A flashback and then walk you through up to that. That's sort of what we're going to be as we come back to visit Luke again and take our time going through the Lord in the, in the weeks to come of that last week um, um, in, our, in our study. It's going to be kind of like here we are now at this point, Palm Sunday, moving into Holy Week, looking at the cross, his death, some of the things that accompanied that. And, uh, of course, next Sunday, uh, we'll pack this place out and celebrate, grand celebration, the resurrection. And then in the weeks to come, we're going to flash back and say, what happened that week? And what we'll kind, of, kind of study that uh, last week that uh, the doctor presents in his gospel more in detail? Today, it's uh, uh, Calvary's uh, miracles. Um, it it uh, did strike me with such dramatic color this week that here the Lord is writing in, uh, as Zechariah had prophesied, they'd be coming in, your king riding on the colt uh, of a donkey, and he comes, your king comes riding in, and that's how a king came in, unless he was at war. At war, he'd be riding on a horse, a stallion or something, but a, a king in peacetime would ride in that culture in that day on a donkey, coming in according to the scriptures, and, and he is weeping, and they're cheering. I go like, Boy, could there be any more, what is wrong with this picture? As It just gripped me, all that was going on. And then those details as those final days of our earth's ministry drew to a close. And this week as we celebrate, typically it's celebrate Good Friday with the crucifixion of the Lord. Perhaps he died on Thursday, but we won't make much of that at this point. The Lord is nailed to the cross at 9 a.m. in the morning and was on the cross for how many hours? Six hours, six hours. Three the first three, until noon, and noon to three, two major segments, important for you to think about that. Three o'clock, he laid down his life. At three o'clock, after he breathed his last, he Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We saw that last week in Psalm 22, the great fulfillment of that. And when he had said that, he said, Father, into thy hand I commit my spirit. He laid down his life at the exact moment he determined to do it. Nobody took it from him. John 10 says that clearly on that. So we don't have that choice. If the Lord tarries, you and I are going to breathe our last, and we're kind of like, is he still breathing yet? Like, uh, but we won't be able to say, that's the last heartbeat. That's the last breath. I'm, I'm out of here. Goodbye. No, but him... He is the Creator God. He breathed His last at the exact moment, and that was it. And that's all this week, and I encourage you to read that through. Well, there's a thought that hit me, this week as I studied through this that I'd never really taught on and that is the, the Calvary, it's called Calvary miracles. Sometimes you'll see the Puritans talk about this in that way. That's, we're going to see what that means today. A lot of times we're so focused on the main event and that's where I have been. The cross, the details leading up to it and then what the seven sayings, he spoke seven times, it's recorded in the Word. Uh, what did he say there? Then he died. Then three days later and then a, triumphantly the resurrection but there were some other things that happened there that I sort of lost in the spotlight of the main event. You know, like uh, we do that. If you watch a football game or, or a good basketball game, you're, wa- you're watching where's the ball going here, and you're not like seeing stuff over here. Michael appreciate that with hockey. You know, a lot of times the puck's going around over here, and if you're watching the puck where it's going, you're missing the fight over here. You're like, you're like, you're like, all right. <laughs> right? That never happened, though. But, you know, you <laughs> sort of, and you miss because you're kind of focusing on the cross and, and on the empty tomb. Well, I want us to look at some of these other things and what does it mean, the very fact that these things would happen at this point. So we we'll call it Calvary's miracle in Matthew 27, beginning at 32. Well, Jesus' death upon the cross, uh, uh, it was the single most important in, event in all of human history. In all of human history, forward and backward, interesting uh, in the life of Christ how God providentially worked in the human mindset to date time, forward and backward, you know, B.C. or in the year of our Lord, A.D., Latin for in the year of our Lord, isn't that? Even though they hate Christ, many and historians, whatever, and people at large. God says, no, we're going to date time forward and backward by the birth of the Lord and in the year of the Lord. I think that's so uh, so wonderful that way. It's the single most important event in human history. And, And let me just remind you of something. Uh, human history. How far do you think back? How much of uh, how much of recorded history do we have in time? Roger, you can't answer. But how much? <laughs> how much do we? How much history do we have? I just have to remind you of this. How much? How many? What? what do you say? I uh, guess. Mark, I guess. you shouldn't answer either, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> it's a guess. I can't. Remember. It's like five thousand years. Yeah, that's right. Say, five, six thousand years. Six thousand years. Four thousand B.C. We have in Sumer, you go to Philadelphia University uh, uh, Archaeological Museum and see in Sumer, they did a study there in Sumer. It's the first civilization that they have, and uh, they found, hey, there are people there. And right there at the river, Tigris Euphrates, and uh, you can look at the clay tablets, and they're cuneiform, and and they're doing homework on it. They're doing advanced math. Sitting there doing math, and then they'd work it. No, last night, and, and they smudged the clay, and they do. it again. <laughs> I'd be doing that a lot with some of that <laughs> math they were doing. And you can find the uh, ingredients for, for beer. There's barley and all this. Yeah, I'm not kidding. And you, you can see we're smudging, reworked it over, and all that. 4,000 BC. It just makes me want to throw up when I hear you know the worshiping of time plus chance equals. Don't you think anything could happen? Please, you know, we've only, we only have recorded. Six thousand years—that's nothing. That's nothing. And then they're over in in in, in, the, in the Nile because they're all spreading out. You see, Noah's son is a spread in the division of the amazing. So keep that in mind. Four thousand man shows up. He's writing. He's speaking. It's amazing. It's amazing. God says, "Be fruitful, till Noah, and fill the earth." And they—we've done at least a pretty good job in that. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Well, what event could even come close to the death of Jesus when you compare what God did uh, in sending his own son to die for? I mean, what comes close? The moonshot? That's a pretty good thing. But when you think about the significance and the wonder of the death of Christ, like, you know, like, what's that? A quarter million miles away, and the guys walked around a couple days, and then came. It's It's an incredible event for mankind, truly. You said that last week. But the significance of that, right? So we drink Pang, right? We have some nice zippers and some lightweight clothes that the space exploration development, we, we're glad of that. Computerization and, that, and that's helped us. And probably even the cell phones came out of that, right? Right, probably. Something like that, right? So we're glad. Think of the implication of that versus forever and ever in the presence of God, learning, growing, serving Him. You can't compare it. You can't compare it. It's the greatest single event in all human. Nothing even comes close. Nothing. So it was perfectly appropriate that a life ushered in by a miracle, the virgin birth. Can you explain that? I can't. Mary had a trouble with this. He's like, "Uh, I got a question. (laughs) How uh, how can this be since I'm a Parthenos? You ever hear the Parthenon in Greece? It was the temple of virgin. I I I got a question, Gabriel. Uh, I'm a virgin, you, how am I going to have a, you know, with, with, uh, with man things are impossible. With God, all things are possible. That's what he said. And she believed, God worked in her heart, and she, uh, I am the Lord's servant. So she conceived what was born in her, miraculous conception, the, the birth of one who had always been, you know, I can't, I don't understand very much in life. I people that go around pronouncing, well, that could never happen. You know, like, please, does everything have to meet the bar of your brain? Please. You know, you just got off the bus and showed up a few years ago. You know, God holds it all together, and this is how he did it. You know, Jim Machen's book on the virgin birth is still unanswered. Great study if you want to ever read a book. On the head. And so the Lord's life on earth came, uh, ushered in with, miraculously, and then his ministry, the three years of his ministry from 30 to 33, was filled with miracles, one after the other. I mean, all sorts of things demonstrating that he is, in fact, God, over creation, over blindness, over leprosy, over the dead. Amazing. And so, uh, as Jesus was dying and then soon dead, uh god uh spoke in awe-inspiring language of his own did you know that god speaks and god speaks through the creation the heavens declare Hebrew were worded shout the glory of god everything in life has like a sign on it made by god made by god made god for god's glory all of life god shouts to us men and women walk around with spiritual blinders on their eyes and heart what, God? What? I don't see anything stumbling around in the darkness. You ever do that at night? Get up and make your way to the kitchen, or rather you're stumbling around. I hit my toe on the bedpost more times than I can remember. I think I'd know where that is by now, right? Stumbling around. That's what lost men and women are doing. You're stumbling around in the dark, even though God's language to them. Made by God, made by God. Well, the miracles that accompanied his death are, were startling signs to an unbelieving world. And each one of them underlined the tremendous significance of the Savior's death. God is, is shouting. It's like neon light shouting, don't miss this, don't miss this. It's like being on the Navy ship where, where uh, the, the, the captain is trying to get every, everyone on board's attention. Now hear this, now hear this. That's the idea of these uh, miracles that accompany the main event of the death of Christ on the cross. We're going, to, we're going to look at them. There, so there are four that we're going to look at quickly, just these four events. Maybe you never noticed them. Maybe you did. That uh, that, uh, uh miracles by God uh, the Father, coming Jesus' death, calling us to see, to really see. Don't miss this. Don't miss this, this glorious event. In all of this, God shouts, yet I remind you that tragically, People miss the significance of the Savior's death. It's not about chocolate. I like chocolate. It's not about bunnies and eggs and all that nonsense, you know. I like eggs. Bunnies are cute. I have nothing against it, but it's not that at all. Don't miss it. Somebody uh, at men's fraternity was saying, that uh, uh, was a John John 's friend at, at Mens fraternity, three. his friend asked me he said, i don 't get this. What is this Easter kind of a thing uh, it's just not John 's friend. We live in a world where people go like, "What is that I mean they 're so far removed from a common core understanding of even ba- the most basic Bible truths, and uh, how shall they hear without Someone speaking to them. How is it without telling of the. Well, let me tell you the greatest story. It's, it's the love of God. You and I are not peddlers of philosophy. We just tell the facts that happened and why God did it. And in the midst of that, God will save some. He will. <laughs> he saved many of you, if not all of you. That's how he saved me. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And yet many miss the significance, and they slip into eternity, lost forever. And I'm reminded these folks, we live among them. We walk among them. And God wants to use us as light in a dark world to tell the message of Jesus. It's not you, it's not your personality. It's it's not. It's it's not your persuasiveness. I mean, (laughs) we're trophies of grace. And if they see light in us, they see the work of God's Spirit in us, and God wants to use us to plant the seed. Some plant others water. God gives all the increase. It's he who calls out of darkness. I like to see our church engaged in winning the loss more than what we are or what I sense we are. Well, four miracles. First of all, at noon, we see in, in 27, verse 45, at noon God covered the earth with darkness. And Matthew 27, verse 4, let me find the right, yeah, verse 45, and now from the sixth hour, the Romans began the, the, the calendar there, uh, uh, beginning at 6 a.m. in the morning, that was the beginning of the day, from sixth hour, that means uh, at the day began at 6 a.m., the sixth hour would be noon, 12 noon, uh, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. So that would be from noon until 3 p.m. there in, uh, 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 in that part of the world. Well, at noon, God covered the world, the earth, with darkness. This literal darkness has a tremendous symbolic meaning. It was the darkness of Calvary smothering the sun at, at noon. Now, this was not an eclipse. Have you ever been through an eclipse? I remember when I was a little boy and the first I go, what's this, Mom? We're going to have a solar, a total solar eclipse. And, and Mom said, and, uh, it's the only one that will appear probably in your lifetime. Up there, we were up in Buffalo. And so she and my mom had the little babies, you know, I, we, I don't know, I this high maybe. And she like, and it was kind of hit right at, in midday sometime. And I think it was in the summer, because why else would I be home? And uh, and so, like, she had read that, you know, if we look at it, you know, our retinas will burn out, all this kind of stuff. So my mother, like a good mother hen, pulls the drapes, threatens us with our life, you know, in the center of the house. It was like midnight in the center because none of her babies were going to go blind under her charge, you know, like... Well, that made us even more anxious. My brother and I went, well, what is happening? You know, we got to see this. And, I, and she had said, well, the only way you can see is a little pinhole and a piece of paper, and you, you kind of don't look at it, and it shines through, and you look at it on it. You know, say, you know what I'm talking about? I don't, that goes way back. Because, uh, and then she said, it's only going to be like, what, eight minutes, three minutes, ten minutes, Rog, something like that is Yeah, that's, that's about the time. Yeah. Do you? Yeah. That's funny that... that, that I had a Boy Scout camera, and I actually took a picture of it. It was real cloudy in Pittsburgh. And I actually still have that picture. You could see a crescent sun. No kidding. Through the clouds. Cloudy in Pittsburgh. That never happened before, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Amen, right, girl? <Carol? laughs> yeah. Yeah. All that to say, it wasn't a total eclipse. This is not an eclipse going on here. An eclipse does not act uh, uh, last for three hours. Never. In human history, ever, 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 never. Did I say it? Uh, never. Okay, you got the point out of that? And, and some kind of dance around, you know, they kind of like don't believe the text, but they do this kind of a theological dance, you know, sort of like, well, it seemed like it was three hours, but it was really, a, well, you still have the enormous problem of timing. Right <laughs> now, what a, what a coincidence, you know, like and that the, the probabilities of that are just mind staggering and never happen. Just it's easier to just take God at His word, right? Ex- exactly, exactly so. Well, He smothers it, not it's not eight minutes, it's three hours now, and also it's Passover. This is Passover week, uh, and uh, Passover uh, the moon was always the uh, full and furthest from the sun. So it's a full moon. And so the, no possibility of any kind of solar eclipse at all. God darkened the sun by his own means. Listen, it's a reminder he holds everything in his hands at all times. Colossians 1 tells us Jesus His creator, does that at all times, even right now, even at that moment. I can't put those pieces together, but I take God at his word. Um, And so he did that. Some of the early, I I don't often quote extra-biblical writers. Extra-biblical means those that wrote that the writings are not included in the Bible. They weren't the Bible texts. But interesting enough, and there are a number of references, you can imagine if the earth at that time at noon became dark, you know, people are like, what's going on? What's happening here? You know, and it was more than just, you know, just on Mount Calvary here and then you find in some of the old uh, writings the, the memory of this. I mean, you would write that down, wouldn't you? you some of you write diaries, right? You, w- would you include that? Like, wow, that was weird today at noon. Everything became dark. It went on for three hours. Well, that, we, we, have, we have evidence of that uh, uh, all around Egypt and, and, and other places. The, uh, Diogenes uh, saw the darkness and he exclaimed, and, and here's a quote, right, from his writing. Uh, I'll give you the full sense of it. Either He wrote either the deity himself suffers uh, at this uh, moment or he sympathizes with one that does. Diogenes wrote that. We have that in the ancient writings. Tertullian, second century uh, uh, godly leader in the early church, uh, speaking to the Romans, he challenged his pagan opponents. and And here's a quote from Tertullian. At the moment of Christ's, I missed the word, death, Uh, The light departed from the sun. The land was darkened at noonday. Which wonder, and here's my point, which wonder is related in your own annals? He's he's talking to pagans, the skeptics. He said, check it out. You have it in your own histories, in your own. Check the newspaper that day, in essence. And it's preserved in the archives even to this day, at the day of Tertullian writing in the second century uh, A.D. Later, Origen and Eusebius, uh, they quoted an account from the historian uh, Flagon. Some of you uh, have no idea who he is, but these are ancient uh, Christian, and then uh, historian. And uh, Flagon wrote, extraordinary darkness at the time of the crucifixion. Um, and, and we found that. Now, uh, many of the sources were destroyed when the great library at Alexandria, Egypt, w- was destroyed. It was, it was a terrible, terrible loss of the ancient world when pagans would come. And they destroyed them. And, and there are a number of these great libraries uh, that were repositories of, of greats lost forever in human history. And uh, But these some of these things have, have survived, and I think it's just an amazing testimony. We didn't need it. God said it. That's enough for us. But, uh, but we have it. See, darkness, I remind you, is a sign of sorrow, is it not, even in our day? It's sadness. It's grief. I mean, you go to... I know that black black is formal. Uh, John is gonna, going to get married uh, in June, and I'll wear a black suit, and Faithy's looking around for a black dress, and she found one, a beautiful one, for the wedding, you know, this kind of thing. I won't tell anybody there. But, uh, but And we go, like, well, it's a class-looking, you know, black. But black overall universally almost symbolizes death, sorrow. You know, you don't go to a funeral. Usually a lady's in a bright red dress, right? Or something like No, it's, it's downcast. And for years and years, it was just the black funeral gown or, or this kind of thing uh, that we would, we would wear. Why? It's, we, we, we understand that. It symbolizes sorrow. It symbolizes sadness or grief. Now, I want to show you. Maybe you never saw this Amos passage. Do you, can you find Amos in your Bible? Look for Amos, I want to show you this because this on this very day, this, uh, the day of the crucifixion, uh, you'll discover that uh, it's after Joel, Joel, Amos. and look at Amos uh, chapter uh, eight, verse nine and 10. Rather amazing writing, hundreds of years ahead of this crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. And, and Amos eight, nine and ten. Uh, The Word of God says, And on that day, that's the day of the crucifixion here. Let me bridge that for you. On that day declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feast in the morning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist. That's sorrow, that's sadness, that's grief. And baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning of an only sun and the end of it like a bitter day. That was fulfilled, Amos, on the day that the Lord Jesus hung on the cross and the darkness that God brought to cover the earth was one of the Calvary miracles that often we don't give enough time. So so God cloaks in darkness uh, Calvary at this extraordinary time. Uh, See, the the darkening sky was a symbol of God's judgment as well. Jesus was bearing the guilt of our sin during those hours. And now from noon until three, the latter three hours on the cross, uh, darkness would cover and cloak the uh, naked uh, or almost naked Savior on the cross. And this was now going to be a private matter between God the Father and God the Son as he approached death it was going to be a private matter you know death is always that way you know even though uh, as uh, loved ones approach uh, the doorway of death we say that, that uh, death to the believer is the is the doorway to heaven uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord and and of course the cross and the resurrection have changed the whole thing for us I mean it's much better by far but in those waning hours and minutes and moments, it's a very private matter between a man or woman, a boy or girl, and, uh, and their God. It's a private thing. Mark, I remember with Howard Hester, that that was a point made and resonated deeply in my heart. I remember your testimony at Howard's um, service. And... Uh, I think Barb had missed that moment. Maybe that was it. Uh, was that it? We missed it. And uh, there was comfort found, I think Randy had said, or someone that, and I go like, you know, that's right. Death that is a very private, as much as our family's around and they'll hold our hand and sing and pray and kiss and, and, and that kind of thing, it is still a private matter between God and that man or woman. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that to judgment. These latter three hours, the Lord is no longer saying caring for others like the first three on the cross. The latter three, darkness covers, and it's a matter as he's entering into his great priestly ministry of bearing our sin dying. and dying. in that infinite value of that cross, separation from the Father in judgment, He bore our judgment. He bore our hell during that period of time as only he could do. And I remind you, this is often things you don't hear about when you talk about the glory of heaven and the wonder. And the opposite, hell, is just as hard and awful the other way. Hell is blackness. Do you know that? guy's like, I'm just going to have a beer party with my buddies and we're going to, you know, and no. And part of it, part of the warning of it is the blackness and the darkness of hell. I remember waking up as a kid in, in our home at night sometimes and the darkness always scared. It kind of scares little boys. <laughs> I don't know if it's little girls too, but always a little bit. And I remember sometimes getting out and walking to be near my, my parents' bedroom and I fell asleep in the upper landing there outside the door just to feel near because of the darkness, the cloaking of that. And hell is dark. It's a horrible place of damnation and judgment. What men and women will not receive and that what Christ did is our substitute. We will pay for what we are only able to give, our life forever in a place of hell and damnation. Jesus bore it all, all to him I owe uh, during that private matter between he and the Father on that cross on that day. Well, the dark sky showed he was suffering the hellishness, curse, of God's wrath. There's a disturbance in creation itself in order to demonstrate uh, what Jesus was uh, doing on the cross, suffering God's judgment against our sin. At noon, the earth is covered with darkness. you think it would just shake you to the heart of hearts if all of a sudden God just dimmed the light here. And all of a sudden, they're like, wow, that's weird. Wow, what's going on? I've noticed in recent days in the paper there's a lot more attention being paid to meteorites going through the, and, and you can see them on YouTube and all that, they're lighting up the sky and, and all that. It's just a prelude of what's going to come if you read the Olivet Discourse and the meteorites and all. And then Revelation, God's going to pound the earth with these, the, and they've already been set in motion. I don't think God's going to just make them. I think they're headed this way and they're going to land right on the exact time. But there's an increased notice of that. Well, the, at noon, God covered the earth with darkness. First uh, miracle. Second uh, is, is even more phenomenal. At 3 o'clock now, now it's 3, it's right at the point he's going to die, God rips the veil of the temple. By doing this, God announced that the way to him is now open to all. It rips from top to bottom. Verse 51. Don't miss that. There's a reason why. Uh, It it makes that notation from top to bottom. And the reason is is, uh, to show you that wasn't man on the bottom kind of ripping it up, but it came from God down on this veil of the temple. The way to God is now open to all. What a great, great news. What a great report. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes under the Father but now through me. Well, for over, actually, A, for over 1,400 years. Catch that now. Over 1,400 years. Sometimes we throw around these numbers and go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. It's actually closer to about 1,500 years. Every year. The Day of Atonement, the Yom Kippur, the high priest would go in twice. You just didn't mosey into that place. You're under death sentence. if you, And God killed people as an illustration. Hey, you just don't. You know show and tell let's see what's behind here no the curtain the veil hung there on the day of atonement this very day 1500 years earlier god instituted it god will prescribe the way that we will approach him and we just don't mosey in on our own good works personality likes or or worship of some other ism god says you do it this way my way and he gave him the plan at sinai 14, 1,500 years to the very day, and there was a curtain called a veil hung between the holy place where the, the priests could, could do their work and the most holy place where God's unique presence was above the mercy seat. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest went in for himself, for his own sin, came out. Then he went in for the sins of the people one day a year, and so it was done like 1,500 years times what's behind only the high priest If we can trust Josephus the uh, Jewish historian they tied a rope around the high priest's leg because they took it seriously if the priest didn't come out of there the high priest didn't come out you didn't go in after him I'm not going you go in I'm not no I'm not no tie a rope if he doesn't show we're dragging him out that's the idea of it you see it was serious what's the message I was saying I want you to know something I'm holy, I'm unapproachable, and you're sinful. And it was a figure showing them what was coming in Christ. That the way to God was through shed blood, the blood of the substitute, the animal, and that ultimately would figure and point to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It was to teach them all those years and bring them to the point of this very day. Well... You know, you think about it. What would happen that all that symbolism and ritual of that day? What would happen? What was to happen to that after Christ died? You know, I mean, we're going to have that continue to go on. Yeah, we got the Jews over here; they're still doing Yom Kippur and all this, and, and yet the church is going. To lie, and, and God providentially ended it all right on the exact moment. Now, isn't that a coincidence? Lucky for them, huh? Lucky for us. Hate the word "lucky." Really. <laughs> Ohio State may need some, but I don't believe that. (laughs) But uh, it's amazing, just amazing timing. Uh, And I see God's hands in the timing and the details. Look for that in your own life. Look for that, God's timing as we commit ourselves to him in the detail. We don't know what's the next moment, but we pray and we trust, and God works behind the scenes, and his timing is amazing to me. A lot of folks are clueless on that. And they think they're just stumbling along on their own. They're, we're not. We're not. It's amazing. Look for his timing. Faithy and I recount that so much in our life. God's sweet timing in life. Well, the curtain hung to say, don't approach. Don't come in. I'm here. You're, I'm holy, and you're not. Now, look at the size. Look at number one. The veil is huge. 60 feet wide, this curtain. Think of it. Some of you are thinking like a theater. You know, you got the big curtain. This thing is 60 feet wide, 30 feet high. It's handmade, and it had the thickness uh, of a human palm. That's how thick the material was from here to here, held on four golden posts. It was an enormous amount of weight, enormous. And it said, keep out, keep out. No trespassing. None. When I was a paper boy, uh, occasionally, uh, you know, I used to get chased and bit by dogs, and it really affected me mentally. You know, <laughs> they, yeah, they, you know they want to protect the property, and I was the bad guy. And, the ca- oh, he won't hurt. Well, they bit me in the pants and stuff like that from time to time. Seriously. And then some folks would have no trespassing, and then they put the sign, Dogs. You know, <laughs> and I got to collect my 73 cents for the paper that week. <laughs> Could you not just mail it to me or something? No. And uh, no trespassing. That's what the curtain meant. God met with them in that localized presence. This enormous curtain, 60 feet, 30 feet, thickness of this material woven together, hundreds of years, hundreds. If we can trust the, uh, the ancient writers, they said it took 300 men to... Move this thing when it needed to be moved. Whatever, 300. I can imagine that. I can imagine. Some of you have moved some of your drapes in your house. You're like, wow, these are pretty heavy. Some of the, Imagine something that size. When I worked a uh, summer in college at international paper mill, uh, we would have to change. The, they called it the wire uh, on the paper machine. We had paper machine. They're 100 yards long. There were two of them, ran side by side, middle aisle, and the wire was the mesh. That most of its water, when it comes out as pulp, and it goes, uh, it runs on these runners, and by the time it goes that 30 feet, it starts going up into the dryers to make quality paper. And about every, you get a hole in that 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 mesh net about every every 18 days, and uh, the union's union union shop, and uh, we it took 20 guys to change the wire. I always loved it for college guys because you didn't know what was going to happen. You called in, and if uh, you got paid an extra eight hours, if it took three hours or what. But to see 20 guys move the rollers, pull it out, this and that, pick the thing up, and 20 guys. I was thinking about that. It seemed like a great crew trying to tackle a big, heavy project. 300 guys to move the veil of the enormous weight. So it's not like, hey, the drape ripped there. It's a little sheer curtain or something. No. No, God wants us to get the message here that the symbolism was over and the reality is here in Christ. And all of this pointed to Christ and now the way to heaven to God is through Jesus that that symbolized. That's all going on in the the incredible timing and the tearing from the top to the bottom of the veil of the temple. God's purpose, designed purpose for the veil was to be a barrier. It was a barrier. Keep out. God will be approached in the manner He prescribes. Stay out. You're not welcome. About the only thing close to that in our life in a family, we uh, happened not that we are, uh, uh, we happened to be in uh, Europe one time with Faithy's mom and dad, and we visited some family and missionaries back a long, long time ago. I don't know what year it is, 1990 maybe? And we happened to, we took the train into Berlin and Jonathan and the little ones, they were uh, all the way up there. And we wanted to go see Checkpoint Charlie, right? And, and of all things, we show up and the taxi driver said, Checkpoint Charlie, no more. That was the week it came down. I, and, I, and we were exhausted anyway. Or oh, I would have definitely said, take us over. I want to see where it is. Why? That was the gate that said, keep out your, you know, East Berlin. Some of you know that better. You're not allowed over there. And then it came down and was opened up. And the way that was closed, except for that one little restricted end, checkpoint chart, now it's open for all. and The movement back and forth. And I thought of that with this, the veil of the temple right from top to bottom. Can you imagine the priests when they came into their horror and they saw the thing hanging open like that? And they, we know from uh, tradition that they tried to sew it together. They tried to, well, let's, oh, oh my, don't tell, you know, we'll fix this and and all that. But it was done. It was over. The way to God was now open. The barrier was down. Well be. Jesus is our high priest. He died as the perfect sin sacrifice for our sin. No other sacrifice is needed. That's why when Hebrews says, when he finished his work, he sat down don't think of it. Well, it must have been a break time or something. I got to get off my feet. Faithy works so much at Talbot; she's on her feet with retail all the time. Never sits down and say like, "Oh, Jesus, it must have been." Ta- no, a priest never sat down. There were there were no s- chairs in the temple, the tabernacle, or the temple. He sat down because the work was finished. It was a finished work. Tell I finished, finished. He offered himself. He was the priest and the offering, and God was satisfied. We know that because of the resurrection. The priesthood was over. A priest is no longer needed today as a go-between. There are some churches uh, in our land, some high churches, that that the, the pastors are called priests. You know, you'll never find that in the New Testament. It's an amalgamation and almost a confusion of Old Testament system and New Testament. Kind of like uh, it's something that never really was and shouldn't be because if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a believer priest. It's one of the great doctrines of the Reformation. That we don't, you don't need to come to me. Hey, Terry, can you pray for me? You know, all right, say this, say that. Do this, do that. Go do, you know, hey, go wash my car. You know, (laughs) know, (laughs) be forgiven and all this kind of thing. I mean, the Episcopalians, they call them priests. And, and I think some of them know Jesus, really, and some of these other high churches and, and our, our, our Catholic family members, they call them, and I think some of them know Jesus. There's no question on that. But you'll never find that. It's a confusion. The fact is, if you know Jesus as Savior, you are a priest, a believer priest. That's what that means. What's that mean? That means you don't need a go-between now. The way is open. The veil's been ripped. You can go directly into the presence of God through the blood of Jesus, and, and, and worship him and praise him and find confession. You see, the way is now open. You see that? So, don't, you know, you don't need to come and uh, my confessional booth. I don't want to hear your laundry anyways. Please, I have to go home and live with my wife. So, anyway, but take it to the Lord and find cleansing there. You see how beautiful that is? It's so wonderful. The former, I have it here, the former barrier, the veil, was now a gateway. It was open. Open. It's like God's saying, Come. Every repentant soul is now invited to enter. How great is that? Well, the third miracle at three, let's move along. We got the darkness. Then we've got the temple veil. God rips it open to show the way to Him is now open through the cross. It's finished work. At 3 p.m., God shook the land with a mighty earthquake. An earthquake. Earthqu- Ever been in an earthquake? Have you? Lexi? How bad was it, Lexi? A couple of them were pretty decent. Pretty? What is that, is that oh, was that West Coast? Yeah, San Diego. Yeah, oh, yeah, San Diego. Bev? California. Yeah, California, that's fruit and nuts and earthquakes, huh? <laughs> is it, no? And high taxes, I've been reading that lately. If you feel you're like you're not paying enough taxes? <laughs> Earth, yeah, we had one in, uh, we felt one here, right? Indiana, I was, I got up when I was in graduate studies and uh, uh, Faith was working or something and I, got up, and I went and looked out the window. I thought, like, what is going on? And then I read, it was a tremor there. Good news, we were on a fault line. <laughs> I didn't know we were that fortunate. It's a strange thing, you know, and God uh, does that Uh, and the the titanic shifting of the plates and all that kind of business, and it's going to increase as the days unfold. You know, there's going to be an increase in earthquakes, earthquakes and seismic activities and all that. And God shakes the earth at this momentous moment with an an earthquake, uh, and the repercussions, you you know, uh, again, um, it was so powerful, it affected even creation. You know, there's there was no small earth, this was no small earth tremor. I mean, the rocks were split open into great fissures as to lay open the interior of many rocky graves in Golgotha. So great that the Roman soldiers greatly feared. Now, don't miss that. The Roman soldiers greatly, did, it, to be a Roman soldier, you weren't sort of like on the light and the loafer type. I mean, really, you were a man's man and you kind of like ate, ate ground uh, glass and that was the thing, like, I'm a man, I can, yeah, you know, this kind of thing. And, like, and now they're over, and they're like, oh, it's a little tipsy. No, these are guys, these are ferocious guys. These are the guys you want protecting you. You know, the high-level testosterone, you know. The high level titus, you know like. <laughs> and they're over here, this is a big event. They're like, oh, whoa, holy cow, what is, something's happening here. Get the right picture. It's a miracle, and it's timing. And God is saying, listen, create. even creation is, Noting this, this the importance of this event of Christ dying on Calvary. The rocks were split open. Some of you have stood over there with me on Golgotha. It's a rocky area. It's a cemetery area. And uh, and that, of course, is in the area where the Lord would be buried. And the rocks split right open. And the tombs of some of the ancient saints, we'll talk about that, lay open. And people were like, Freak. wow. This is... What is happening? No wonder the centurion, when he sees all this in a few verses, is going to say, sure, and and he's a master of putting people to death. He's seen it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. Never saw a death ever like this. In his words, surely this is the Son of God. I think we're going to see him as a part of the church in glory. And uh, anyway, Sinai, I remind you that God thundered with earthquake when he gave the law and the people were terrified. And Paul speaks of creation and groaning and waiting for the end of the curse. You know, the curse was subject in vanity because of Adam's sin. That's why you've got to get chemlon to come to your lawn, right? Thanks a lot, Adam and Eve. I got thistles in my yard again. Got one in my finger. Thank you, Father. Father Adam, you got us in a heap of trouble. And probably if you didn't, I would have done it. <laughs> God's. But... Uh, the creation groans and waits, and, not, and here's the creation responding to the death of Christ. Wow, an earthquake. It's, it's amazing when the earth is shaking. Uh, you have no place to go. No place to go when it's moving like that. I mean, we're on a globe that's suspended by nothing. That'll make you feel real secure. And we're moving at great speeds, and now the plates are like shifting. Where do I, where do I go then? You can't climb a tree. And the basement doesn't do much good. I wouldn't go in a basement. And, uh, that, and, he, like, and God's message is, notice this. Don't miss this. Like a neon light, this is extremely important. I'm great, and you are not. You're like little mice. No, that's too big of a comparison. Yeah. We're ants. No, that's too big. We're uncles. No, we're something. <laughs> anyway, God shook with a mighty earthquake. And last, after Jesus' resurrection, God raised some saints who visited Jerusalem in verses 52, 3, and 4. This is hugely mysterious, hugely mysterious. I mean, it came up at Men's uh, Fraternity the other week. Roger, I don't know if you mentioned Iran. I can't remember, but I go like, or maybe, I can't remember, but I go like, I can't even begin to explain this one. I can't, but I, I just accept it. And the text, you have to look at the, the different texts. The text was not at this moment of death, but it was uh, after, after Jesus' resurrection. Jesus is the first fruit of those that rose, and then they followed him. Um, I remind you that Jesus had raised Lazarus in John 11. Lazarus come forth. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, four days he stinketh. He comes forth with his grave clothes on. What a great picture of our coming resurrection, and then how about Jairus's daughter? He raised her. They were laughing at him, and he raised her. I love the son of the widow in Nain. I love that. Jesus comes walking in Nain, and there's a funeral procession. I love to teach and preach that the day Jesus stopped the funeral, he went over there, and he stopped it. You see the hearse go by, and then the entourage of all the cars and their lights on and the little fly. Like he stopped. I mean, it was it's so filled with truth and hope and life for all of us. So, so why shouldn't? I say, why shouldn't God uh, uh, raise people, uh, their saints, their Old Testament believers, Just as Jesus is raised, or moments after, days after, and they walk into Jerusalem in these graves that were opened up from the earthquake that happened three days, and they're walking through and they're coming. Now, uh, you read a lot of the writers on it. Did they die again? And a lot of them think they did. So they think they, they, they were like Lazarus. The poor guy had to go through death again. That was so much fun. Do it again. This isn't even Hershey Park, you know, that kind of thing. And, and many of them think that, that they, they had to die again, but their families were amazed. And just think of that. So Uncle Harry, Uncle Harry, we buried you. <laughs> yeah, but the God is great, and he's raising Christ. Christ. So imagine the stir of that. You begin to get the, uh, the, the sense of all that God did on these Calvary miracles, calling us not to miss the significance. Now, God raised the number of saints in fulfillment of the first fruits. I think uh, it was uh, Walvert, uh, Dr. Walvert writes of that, uh, that they were the first fruits of them that slept, like uh, the first fruits of the harvest that Israel had been uh, celebrating for 1,400 years. Wow. You know, the, did you know today talking about the, uh, the older cemeteries and we have those in the East here more than they do in Midwest and Four West um, they're laid out so that when the bodies are placed in them, um, when they rise, they're facing the east. Did you know that? I'll say that to the funeral. Is this laid out like? Oh, yeah. He said, They're, they're laid out so that when Jesus comes, coming out of the east, at the second coming in the resurrection and the graves are open, they're facing the Lord. Is that something? That's the Christian heritage that goes way back, and you can't easily blot that out through a couple decades of pure paganism in the culture. I mean, things go on, and some of those things, like they've always... Isn't that interesting? And here's the day the graves were open. Wow. It's a picture of the coming harvest. What a great day. Guess what? You're going to look better than even today. I hope, right? And this guy, too, you go like, hey, you never look so good. Thank you. You know, we say, Lord, even so, come quickly. And ladies, you probably never have a bad hair day. Bad hair day. Bill never has one. Right, Bill? You never, yeah, yeah. What? Galen, you're good every day. I notice that. And, and never a bad hair. Beautiful, glorious. Wow. Well, what can we say by Lessons for Life? will be? Number one, Jesus entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday to enter into the greatest event in the history of the world. He would lay down his life as an atoning sacrifice for your sin and mine. I say to you, marvel, marvel, marvel at God's love for you. He did this for you. He did it for me. I wouldn't have done it for me. I wouldn't. Oh, wretched man that I am, who should deliver me from the bonds of this death? But thanks be unto the Lord who always gives us the victory. Oh, the love of God. And I, you know, it'd be like Paul, you know, saying to the Ephesians that his prayer was that we would begin to come to grips with the depth and the width and the height of God's love. It's deeper than the deepest ocean. It's higher, you know, we sing these songs to our kids, but it's God's love for us, even though how unlovable we are. Let that sound settle into your heart this week. Number two, it should not surprise us that this momentous event would be done in secret, would, would, would not be done in secret or with little notice like in a corner somewhere. No, God put it on the main stage, right on a highway in the holy city by the Romans and the Jewish leaders. God sent these miracles to accompany His Son's death calling us don't miss this. And the idea is if you miss it, you miss everything. It's not like watching a football game and Say, oh, I missed that play when I got up to get another hot dog. You miss this, your friends and family miss, they miss everything. I mean, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What? There's nothing poorer than a dead person. You know that? Doesn't matter how rich they were a moment ago, They're dead, and they're as poor as can be. What will you give? You miss this. You miss everything. Number three, if you are saved, you are a believer priest. What do I mean? You can go directly to God our Father because of Jesus. Praise him. The old system's gone. God ripped the veil of the temple. And I'm just urging you, practice your believer priesthood every single day. Pray to him. Come before him in confession. Practice your privilege. You're a believer priest. say, well, pastor, you're a pastor. I'm not a pastor. Well, that's right. Although the men should be shepherds in their home. But we are all believer priests. Isn't that great? It's one of the great Reformation doctrines. Number four, Jesus' death was the death of death. Praise the Lord. He, he not only defeated Satan, but he defeated death itself. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, my. Thank you, Jesus, for this truth will comfort all of us as we approach our own appointments with death. Do you believe that God has an appointment for your death? He does. And it, he won't say, oops, well, I didn't know he was going to die today. I didn't know she was going Oh, how did that happen? Uh-uh. It's all laid out. And number five, unless, and one day, if you know Jesus as your Savior, you too will rise from the dead like these saints here. Came forth. That's, that's, you're in the picture, and so am I. And we'll live forever. That's the glorious message of those raised back then. The graves will be opened. The saints will come forth. The saints will come marching in. That's the fulfillment of that song down in New Orleans. Some of you know that all too well. And these are the Calvary miracles. And God's saying, it's not the main event. The main event is the cross and then the tomb. Well, look at these other things. They shout to us. God is great. His love is even greater. Oh, may we love Jesus more and more. Let's stand and be dismissed, shall we? Father, thank you so much for these Calvary miracles and all that it says to us. We are so undeserving of any grace Thank you so much for the cross, our Lord. Thank you for Palm Sunday in this week, this holy week. And, and may it be a time of special drawing near to you and praying and special time of Bible reading, maybe some fasting. Maybe we miss a meal and spend that in study and in prayer. Help us, Lord, to be burdened for lost people and, and to, as just invite friends to come even to Grace next week as we celebrate the resurrection in a wonderful, wonderful way. We love you with all our heart. We pray, Lord, make us a blessing today and all that we should meet. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are dismissed. God bless. Faithy? Honey, could you get Kirsten's personal information, her phone number? I, no, could you? Okay. Phone number, maybe, two.